have your Bible, either a printed copy like I have, or you have a digital copy on your phone, let me encourage you to hold it up and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now open up your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. I love going to the movies. I love going to the movies. So much so that last year on the advice of my stockbroker, Matthew Purvis, I bought some stock in, in Regal Cinema. And at the time I bought the stock, it was at about $20 a share. And um, our stockbroker, Matthew Purvis, assured me that this stock was going to skyrocket. It was going to go up to $1,000 a share. It was going to be one of those kinds of stock. And I'm happy to report today that the stock that we bought at, at $20 a share is now worth $12 a share. But I still love going to the movies. I still like everything about the movies. I like the concessions, especially the movie popcorn. I love movie popcorn. I, I love the, the big screen, and I, I love those comfy seats, the reclining kind that you have today. And I even love the preview of coming attractions. I love seeing what's going to be coming out. And that's what chapter 14 is all about. Now, if you haven't been with us for the last several weeks, you know that chapters 11 through 13 have not contained a lot of good news. As a matter of fact, they are a picture of some of the darkest days, spiritually and morally, that this world will ever experience. We see the two witnesses, God's powerful end-time prophets, who have been proclaiming God's message for three and a half years, brutally killed, butchered, by the Antichrist. We are told that the dragon, Satan himself, will wage war against the Jewish people during the last days because they refuse to worship him. We are given an in-depth picture of both the Antichrist and the false prophet, and we're told that anyone that refuses to take the mark of the beast, the mark of the Antichrist, will be put to death. It doesn't seem that the news could get any worse. So God decides to give us a preview of coming attractions. He moves from the message of doom and gloom of the last several chapters to a message of hope and assurance in chapter 14. And he reminds us that even though what we have seen looks bleak, it doesn't represent the final outcome. God is still on his throne and God will still prevail. And in this chapter, he gives us five promises that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, can hold on to. And so let's begin reading in verse 1. It says, Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of a mighty ocean waves or 
the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. No one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. They have kept themselves as pure as virgins, following the Lamb wherever He goes. They have been purchased from among the people on the earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. They have told no lies. They are without blame. Now here's promise number one that we can hold on to. Our Redeemer will be standing in the end. And we will be standing with Him. Now in a fight, the one who is standing at the end of the fight is the winner. The last man standing is the winner. And that's what we see a picture of in, in Revelation chapter 14. It's the end of the battle and Jesus is standing victorious. And with them are 144,000. Now remember we were introduced to this 144,000 in chapter 7. These 144,000 are 144,000 Jewish men who are saved. They are sealed by God, protected by God, and then they are called to go out into the world proclaiming the good news of the gospel. But the scene has now shifted. We are no longer on earth with the 144,000. The 144,000 are with the Lamb, Jesus himself, on Mount Zion. Now in the Bible, Mount Zion sometimes refers to the city of Jerusalem, God's holy city. But oftentimes in the Bible, Mount Zion refers to heaven itself. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, this is what we read. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And so here we have Jesus in heaven standing victorious with the 144,000. They have finished their work on earth. They have endured a lot, but now they're standing with Jesus. And the first thing I want you to notice about them is that they have been saved. They have been redeemed. That, that word redeemed that we read in these verses means to be purchased, to be bought to be set free and that's exactly what Jesus did for them he purchased them he bought them with his blood but he not only bought them Jesus set them free from the power of sin and death listen to me you need to understand as a follower of Jesus you have not only been set free to inherit heaven you have been set free from death, and you have been set free from the power of sin. That's what salvation is all about. Jesus sets us free from the power of sin and the power of death through his blood. But then notice that they have not only been saved, they have been sealed. The name of Jesus and the name of the Father is written on their foreheads. In chapter 7, we're told that the seal of God has been placed on their foreheads. You see, just as the world is given the mark of the beast, these 144,000 are marked with the name of God. They are sealed, guaranteeing that what God has started in them, He will complete. And notice how many of them make it to heaven. Not 140,000, not 143,000, 
Not even 143,999. 144,000 make it to the finish. The same number that were saved, the same number that were sealed, are now standing with Jesus in heaven. Every single one of them make it to the very end. You see, that seal is the guarantee that God will see them through to the end. It's God's seal of ownership upon their life. God is saying, you belong to me. But you need to understand that each and every one of us who are followers of Jesus have been sealed in the exact same way. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. God sealed you with his Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, promising you that you will make it to the very end. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus returns. The Apostle Paul said, I'm confident that the God who began his work in you is going to complete his work in you. Understand, God always finishes what he starts. And so I assure you, if you're a child of God, if the Holy Spirit of God is living in you, when that role is called up yonder, you will be there. There's no such thing as losing your salvation because your salvation wasn't purchased by you. It was purchased by the blood of Jesus. There's no such thing as you losing your salvation because your salvation isn't dependent upon you holding on to the Lord. It's dependent upon his holding on to you and he will never turn loose. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. If God's Holy Spirit is living in you, you are sealed until the day of redemption. And you will make it to the end. <coughs> and so they are saved. They are sealed. But next notice, they are singing. They are singing a song that, that only they know. But I want you to listen to something. I believe with all my heart, when God saves you, when God redeems you, when God seals you with his Holy Spirit, he puts a song in your heart. That's why when we come together to worship, we don't come together to watch a show. We come together to participate. And you who are out there, you're not there to watch the praise team sing. You are there to sing with the praise team. You are the praise team. You are the choir and that's why it is such a sad thing when we see believers who know Jesus who love Jesus who have been saved by his blood sitting like they're sulking rather than singing like they're celebrating because they have been saved oh listen to me you need to sing like these 144,000 but then we're told that they are sanctified they have kept themselves as pure as virgins. Now, some say that this means that the 144,000 will not be married. They are separated um, themselves totally and completely from this world, the things of this world, to spread the gospel. Others say that this is referring to the fact that they are morally pure. They're separated from the corruptions of this world. And both of those things can be true. But I believe there's another thing as well. 
You see, oftentimes when the Bible is talking about pure and virgin in Scripture, it's not just talking about um, physical purity, but rather spiritual purity. In the Old Testament, when the nation of Israel would, would chase after other gods, the gods the Baal, the gods of, of Ashtoreth, the gods of Chemosh, God would accuse them of adultery, chasing after other gods. And these 144,000, in the midst of a world that were worshiping the beast, refused to worship the beast. They instead had their allegiance totally to the one true God, the Lord God. And then finally, they were steadfast, unwavering, following the Lamb wherever he went. And that's what each and every one of us are called to do. Like the song that, that we used to sing, wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll take up my cross. I'll follow you. Wherever you lead, I go. But here's what I know. Just as the 144,000 are going to stand with the Lord in the end, you and I will as well. I love the promise that Job held on to. Remember Job, the one who went through this immense pain and um, emotional trauma in his life because he was faithful and obedient to the Lord? Do you remember what he said? In, in Job chapter 19, he said this, But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last. He will be the last man standing. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. Job said, When the Lord is standing on the earth at the last days, I am going to be in a new body, and with my very eyes, I am going to see him for myself because I'm going to be standing with him. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, you have been saved through the blood of Jesus. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit puts a song in your heart, and we are called to be sanctified and steadfast in our love and devotion for the Lord. Why? Because our Redeemer is going to be standing in the last day. And we're going to be standing with him. That's a promise we can hold on to. But let's continue in verse 6. It says, Then I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him. For the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and all the springs of water. Here's the second promise that we see in this passage. The gospel will be proclaimed to all people. Now, this scripture is strange to us. And the reason it's strange to us is because throughout scripture, God has given us the task of proclaiming the good news. Every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus are called to share Jesus with the world. And though we may never go overseas, and though we may never go on a mission trip to another state, we are called to share Jesus with our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our family that are living in the world that we live in today. Jesus said this. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the task that we have been given. But here we are. In the very last days. And we see this angel flying through the sky 
with a loud voice proclaiming the eternal gospel to every single person. Now, why is that? I can tell you why. It's because God wants everyone to have the opportunity to repent. God wants everyone to receive his forgiveness. God doesn't want anyone left out. Perhaps this is the fulfillment of, of Jesus' words in Matthew 24. <coughs> in Matthew 24, he says, And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that the nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Maybe it's this angel that is proclaiming the good news one final time that's going to usher in the end and the kingdom of God. But notice the message that he gives. He begins by telling everyone to fear God. Some people say that this word just simply means a holy reverence for God. But older brothers and sisters, that's not what it means. Jesus said this. He said, don't be afraid of the person who can kill your body, but fear the one who can destroy your soul and your body in hell. What Jesus was saying and what the Word of God says is that if we don't know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we ought to be terrified by Him. Because one day we are going to stand before Him and we're going to give an account of our lives. And then this angel says that you need to give glory to God. Your life should be a story of honoring and bringing glory to God. And then he says, you should worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the seas and the spring and everything in it. God and God alone is worthy to be worshipped. And then he said this, for the time of judgment is come. Oh, listen to me. The message of mercy, the message of grace always brings with it a message of judgment. There is God's mercy that can be received. But there's also God's judgment that can be received. And we choose which one. But the gospel will be proclaimed to all the world. But let's move to verse 8. In verse 8, it says, Then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon has fallen, that great city has fallen, because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. Then a third angel followed them, shouting, Anyone who worships the beast and his statue or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath. And they will be tormented with fire, burning sulfur, in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night. For they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. Now here's promise number three. Those who reject God's mercy will receive God's wrath. Write it down. Put it in the margin of your Bible. You reject God's mercy and you will receive God's wrath. Now in this section we see two angels giving two messages of judgment. The first gives us a message that Babylon has fallen and this anticipates what we read about in Revelation chapter 18. Babylon is the city where pagan religion originated. 
Babylon was located in modern-day Iraq, but, but many people believe in the end times it will be rebuilt, it will be restored, and it will become the center, the hotbed of, of immorality and, and pagan worship in these last days. But one thing we know for sure, Babylon has always been a symbol of the evil powers of this world, the powers that lead people to destruction. Babylon has always led and always will lead the nations into immorality. But God is saying, Babylon, your day is coming. But next he warns those who worship the beast to take the mark of the beast. Those who have rejected Jesus. You see, the Antichrist says, Satan says, worship me or you die. But Jesus says, worship me or you're damned. You can die for worshiping the Antichrist. But if you don't give your worship to Jesus, you will be damned for all eternity. This passage uses two words to describe God's anger. It uses the word anger and the word wrath. And and it seems to indicate that God's wrath is doubled up. He has a passionate anger. Do you wonder why God is so angry? Let me tell you why. God created you and he created me for a personal relationship. He created us to walk with him and to worship him personally for all eternity. And yet, we chose to believe the lie of Satan rather than the truth of God. And yet, God still loved us so much so that he sent his only son, Jesus, as the once and for all payment for our sin. And yet, the world has not only rejected Jesus, the world mocks Jesus. The world scoffs at Jesus. God's only son who shed his blood so that we could be forgiven and God is angry and everyone who rejects the son will be thrown into hell to experience the fire of hell forever and ever you say Rocky I don't see how God could ever send someone to hell and dear brothers and sisters listen to me he doesn't you choose hell God didn't make hell for you God didn't make hell for me God made hell for Satan and the demons who rebelled against him. But if we choose to follow Satan rather than God, then we will spend eternity with Satan in the place that was created for him. A place with fire and brimstone where the fire never goes out. You say, Rocky, do you believe there is a literal fire burning in hell forever? You better believe I do because the Bible teaches it. But listen to me. If there's not a literal hell in fire, a literal fire in hell, what is in hell is far worse than a literal hell or a literal fire. Oh, hell is going to be a horrible, horrible place. Those who reject God's mercy will receive God's wrath. But let's move on. Verses 12 and 13, it says this means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently. He talked about that in chapter 13. Obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. 
And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down, blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work and their good deeds will follow them. Here's promise number four. Those who patiently endure the persecution of this world will experience the rest that comes from God. Those who patiently endure the persecution that comes from this world will experience the rest that comes from God. You see, we have a choice. We can experience what we read about in verses 8 through 11, or we can experience what we read about in verses 12 and 13. We can experience the wrath of the Antichrist if we are here, or we can experience the wrath of the Lamb. The choice is ours. And notice what it said in verse 12. Look at it. It says that our faith and our obedience go hand in hand. Now, there are some people that say, we're saved by faith, and that's true. The Bible says in, in Romans that we're saved from faith, by faith from first to last. We're saved by faith. But James makes it clear that the faith that saves is a faith that obeys. In James, we're told a faith that does not work is dead. It's not a real faith. Listen to me. You can have a head knowledge about Jesus, about the Word of God, about heaven. You can believe all those things with your head, but if your faith hasn't touched your heart to the point that you're living a life of obedience to Jesus, you haven't experienced saving faith. And that's why we're told that we must endure the persecutions that are to come. You see, if our faith is real, our faith is going to take us through the persecutions that we face in life. And we will face persecution. We may not go through the tribulation period if we're saved. But we will face persecution if we live a godly life in Christ Jesus. The Bible makes that clear. And yet we're called to endure. See, it's not how we start. It's how we finish and if our faith is real, if our faith is genuine, our faith will take us to the very end when we experience that rest from our labors that come from the Lord. So let's wrap this up. The last thing we see is in verse 14 and following. Listen to what it says. It says, Then I saw a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came from the temple, shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, Swing the sickle, for the time of the harvest has come. The crop on earth is ripe. So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. After that, another angel came from the temple of heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel who had power to destroy with fire came from the altar. He shouted to the angel with the sharp sickle, Swing your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath. The grapes were trampled into the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. Now here's the final promise I want you to hold on to, and that's this. The armies of this world cannot withstand the fury of God's judgment. Now, most people say, and I believe, that, that this passage here 
is a preview of Armageddon, that final battle that ends all battles. And it pictures Jesus as this grim reaper. He is holding a sickle, but he's not going out into the harvest field to harvest those who are ripe to be saved. He is going out into the harvest to ripe those who are ready to be judged. The word ripe here, it literally means to be overripe, to be dried up, to be withered, to be rotting. In other words, words, the world is rotten. And God is now coming to execute his judgment upon the world. And notice what it says here. It says the blood will flow for a hundred and 80 miles and it will be as high as a horse's bridle four feet high you say rocky is that to be taken literally i don't know but i'm here to tell you that a hundred and hundreds of millions of people will gather in battle against the prince of peace the lamb of god the king of glory but in an instant in a moment he will wipe them all out and the blood will flow and all the flesh will feed the vultures for years and years and years because this world cannot stand up to the fury of God's judgment God will win Jesus will be standing on the last day and the question is who will you be standing with you see, in this last day, people will have a choice to make. Do they take the mark of the beast or are they sealed by God? But the truth of the matter is, each and every one of us have that choice to make whatever generation we live in. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. You can't bend your knee to two different kings. You're either going to bend your knee, repenting of your sin, placing your faith in Jesus, surrendering your life, pledging your allegiance to him, or you're going to bend your knee to the pleasures of this world and the God of this world. You can't bend your knee to both. So which one will it be? See, every one of us have to make that choice. And if you're here and you've never fully committed your life to Jesus Christ, turning from sin, trusting Christ alone to save you, giving him your life, then you desperately need to do that today. You don't need to wait. You don't need to think about it. You certainly don't need to pray it over. You just need to do it. You need to make the decision, giving Jesus your life. I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. I want you to bow your head with me. Close your eyes. With your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you're here, you're ready to make that kind of commitment to Jesus today. I want to invite you to pray this prayer to him right now. Dear God, I humbly come to you today acknowledging that I'm a sinner. I've lived life my way as if I were on the throne. God, forgive me. I don't want to live that way anymore. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the grave, defeating sin and death for me. Today, I'm trusting you to save me. Today, I'm giving you my life. 
I'm yours. Take control. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me brand new. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me.